0: You prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we love you, and we thank you for your goodness and your grace. Uh, Father, we thank you for being able to gather in this room and gather around your word and sing praises to your name. Father, I pray that you would be glorified. Father, I pray that our hearts and our minds would be changed, that we would leave here treasuring you more, seeing you more clearly. Father, I pray for Blake and his family. Father, I pray for rest. Father, I pray for the Southern Baptist Convention as we gather over the next few days. Father, I do pray for unity, unity around the truth. Father, I pray that you would help us to engage one another with with grace and truth, that we would be gentle and kind, that we would be filled with the fruit of the Spirit. And Father, I pray for the witness of the Southern Baptist Convention. And Father, in these moments right now, we plead for, uh, for help in understanding your word. So Father, help us to see it clearly to understand it clearly. Help me to explain your word. Father, for the saints gathering right now and at Sun City Church, I pray for my dear brothers and sisters. I pray for them as they sit under your word. Father, that your name would be made much of here in Abilene and in El Paso. Oh Lord, we love you and we need you. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I, I want to start off this morning with just a, a thank you to you as a church. A thank you to Pastor Blake White. A, a thank you to Southside Baptist Church for your uh, kingdom investment in Sun City Church. I want to I thank you like, like Paul does the church at Philippi when he says that he, he remembers them and thanks them for their partnership in the gospel. I want, to, I want to just stand before you right now and thank you for your partnership in the gospel and, and seeing the gospel push forth in, in a place that's, that's not your home. And so uh, we just want to thank you uh, from the bottom of our hearts at Sun City Church for your partnership in uh, what we like to consider real West Texas. <laughs> uh, because I don't know if you realize it or not, like I was expecting to come back to West Texas a little bit and it'd be dry and and just a little bit nice, a little bit cooler temperature outside. But I got here and I haven't quit sweating since the time that I that I arrived. Y'all brought humidity for us in the desert. We don't have that, so uh, I just want to say I want to say thank you. Uh, the text that we're going to be looking at this morning, which is already on your screen, is Psalm 23. Now, if you have been around church or or just really have a heartbeat at all uh, in, in the South, you have, you have heard this text somewhere. You have seen it somewhere. You have had some kind of an experience with Psalm 23. See, my first experience with Psalm 23 had nothing to do really with the Bible. Uh, it, it happened uh, a couple of decades ago, and it was on a cassette tape, my first experience with Psalm 23. Some of you don't know what a cassette tape is. That's okay. You'll get the other part of this illustration. The rest of you that know what a cassette tape is, you may not get this part of it. But I heard uh, a portion of Psalm 23 for the very first time in a rap song uh, by the uh, from a guy by the name of Coolio in, in Gangsta's Paradise. Now I, I know I don't look like I maybe fit the mold of a of a young man listening to hip hop, but uh, there was a point in time where I did, and that was my first exposure and experience to Psalm 23 was through the cassette tape that I found of my brothers listening to Coolio's Gangsta's Paradise. Now, from there, my, my next interaction with Psalm 23 was, was at a funeral. And in fact, for, for most of the rest of uh, my time in and around the church, I don't think I've heard a, a sermon in a gathering of the saints on Psalm 23. But I've heard it several times at funerals, and it's certainly appropriate and, and beautiful there as this psalm brings comfort to those that are the Lord's. But I'm excited to dive in this morning to this text with you. Uh, David is the author of this text, and as I studied this week in preparation for this, the, 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 it was like a song to my heart. Like as I, as I opened up these words and began to, to read them, they, they leapt off the pages and, and just sang to, to my heart just the, the beauty of the Lord's love and care and provision for his sheep. And so my goal this morning is to help all of us All of us see that Psalm 23, yes, needs to be preached at funerals, but it has so much to say for us in the here, and the now, and how our Lord comforts us, and how he keeps us, and how he sustains us. So that's my my hope this morning, is that no matter what circumstances you came into this room with, or, or failures... That, that your gaze would get off of those things and onto the Lord Jesus Christ? Because that's where this, this psalm really begins to comfort you and becomes a, a, a balm of comfort for your soul. So you get your eyes off of your circumstances and your failures and you get your eyes on Christ. So that's what we're going to be looking at this morning Because the other side of the coin is, if if we're not listening to God's word on these things and we turn on the news, man, the sky is falling. Things are spiraling, spiraling out of control. But we must remember that our Lord is sovereign and he is in control. And as we're going to see in this text, he is our shepherd that provides, that sustains that is with us in the midst of the chaos that we see around us. Now, I know we have already read this text once this morning, uh, but I'm new here, and when I preach, I read the text, and so we're going to read the text again this morning. You can't have too much Psalm 23. So if you have a Bible, Psalm 23, we're going to start in verse 1. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now for those of you that are type A in the room and you need a road map of where I'm going, we're going line by line through this. So, we're going to take each verse at a time and we're going to start in verse one where, where David writes, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Friends, we could do nothing but look at this one verse and spend weeks and weeks do it, doing it and not squeeze out all the beauty and richness of this one verse. David writes out by saying, The Lord. Like, like everything else that comes after this depends upon this because he's going to, to use the illustration of shepherd. And so all of this depends upon the Lord in which he's speaking of. So when David writes the words the Lord, he's, he's talking about the one who created out of nothing, the one who sustains and holds all things together. The the one that if you you look outside and you see trees and grass, or if you look up to the stars, it's the one who has created and is sustaining those things. This is the Lord in which David is speaking about here in verse 1. He is the one who has set his covenantal love on the people of Israel, who has seen them through the battles, who has seen David through battles in an ascension to the throne. This is the Lord in which he is talking about. It's the Lord who makes promises and keeps them. It's the Lord who exposes the sin of the people, but then at the same time atones for that sin. This is the Lord in whom David is speaking about here. And everything that comes after this has to be built on this foundation of David's trust in this Lord that he's about to write about. That that's the one who in our text is the shepherd. And now David knows a little bit about being a shepherd, and so he uses those uh, that to illustrate the Lord and the Lord's care for his sheep here by describing him as The shepherd, the Lord is my shepherd. And he says, I shall not want. Now what this verse is describing at the back half of that, before we get to the is my shepherd part, this I shall not want, this is not talking about wants in the way that that we commonly think about it. Like that if you're a student in this room and you're like, I want to go to this college or I want to do that, or if you are looking at a new car and say, I want that, that's, that's not the kind of want that we're talking about here. He's saying, he's going to lack nothing because it's the Lord is the shepherd. The Lord, the one who's created, sustained, has set his covenantal love on his people. That's who we're talking about here. So you're going to lack nothing. Because see, the reality is some of us come into this room, many of us, all of us come into this room wanting things that are not good for us. And so the Lord is not going to, to give those things to us. So he's not saying that you're just going to get whatever you want in this text. He's saying you're going to lack nothing. You're going to lack nothing because the Lord is your shepherd. He is the one who cares for his sheep. So no matter your circumstances, no matter what you're going through, you will lack nothing if the Lord is your shepherd. He uses that language here in verse 1. He says, the Lord is my shepherd. I mean, to to think of that is astonishing. Like when when you're reading this, it's not just saying, hey, the Lord is a shepherd or the Lord is this good shepherd. No, he's saying the Lord is my shepherd. And if you're in Christ Jesus in this room, that's, that's true of you and I as well, that the Lord is, is our shepherd. That's different than just being this general shepherd that is, that is good, but he's, he's my shepherd. And David, David knows that, and he writes that. And so we have to ask the question... If the shepherd is the one who's going to accomplish everything that we're about to see, how can the shepherd actually be ours? Do, do we know God as our good shepherd? Because maybe you came into this room and, and maybe you've heard about God being a shepherd. Maybe you've heard some about the goodness of the Lord. But I just want to ask you the question this morning. Do you know God as your shepherd? Because before we look at the rest of this, we've got to nail that down, right? Like we've got to know like, if, the, if the Lord is, is, is my shepherd. In the New Testament, Jesus is described as the good shepherd in John chapter 10. So I'm going to read to you John chapter 10, starting in verse 11, and we're going to go through verse 15. Jesus says, "I am the good shepherd." The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep sees the wolf coming, leaves the sheep, and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. Verse 13, he flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. Then Jesus again says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. If we're going to be encouraged by Psalm 23 this morning, it is going to be because we are his sheep. Because what he's about to talk about here is true for those in which he has saved and redeemed, those that are his sheep so I want to I wanna challenge you this morning, like if you're not in Christ, like, like Jesus is, is saying that he's the good shepherd. He's the one who lays down his life for us. And if we're in Christ in this room, we, we lack nothing because we've got Christ. Like he, he is the object of everything that is going to follow from this. And the only way that you and I are found to be his sheep is that if the shepherd lays down his life for his sheep, I mean, the scriptures clear about who we are as humanity. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Everybody in this room. Like I, I tell my church often, like there's, there's no reason for anybody to walk into the gathering of the saints with like a swagger going on, right? Because, because we're all level in this. We've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And all sin deserves death. Every bit of it. I don't care if you think you have the little sin that maybe nobody notices and, and man, those other people have the big sin that everybody notices. No, we all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and the wages of sin is death. That's, that's all of us in that same place. But God being rich in mercy made a way for us by taking the wrath of God upon himself. And so then paying for that sin, like he he takes the wrath of God, which is what our sin deserves, and he takes that upon himself on the cross, and then he imputes to us his righteousness, he gives us his righteousness through his life, death, and resurrection so that you and I can be his sheep. We have been purchased by the shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life so that we can be his sheep. Sheep. So this morning, before we look at anything else in this text, I want to challenge you to ask the question, am I a sheep of the shepherd? Have I placed my faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ? Because we're about to look at just some of the beauty of how the Lord cares for his sheep. And I want that to be true for everyone in this room. As I do for every person gathering at Sun City Church. Like, and I may say that three or four more times. Like, My, my heart is at Sun City Church. I love those saints. And I want this to be true of them. I want it to be true of you. I don't, I don't know you, but I, I want you to know Christ. So, as we continue on and... Psalm 23, I want you to know the Good Shepherd so you can lack nothing, so that you can be made alive. And we'll see what the Good Shepherd does for his sheep, starting in verse two here. He says, He makes me lie down in green pastures, and he leads me beside still waters. Now you know I'm coming from the desert, and so when I read about green pastures and water, I get pumped. <laughs> like, like we don't we don't see either one of those things. Like one of the first things I did when I moved to El Paso was I sold my lawnmower because guess what? My yard does not have a single piece of grass. It is rock. And, and the rest of my neighborhood is the same way. So when I read about green pastures and waters, I start to think, oh man, I, this is about to get exciting because, because there are places that are barren that you don't see green pastures and, and water. And I know some of you are thinking, well well, that's kind of us. But listen, on my way into Abilene, I told the kids, look out the car look out the window. Like you see these lush green pastures and these beautiful green trees. Like, And I know your trees are only like this tall, but <laughs> listen, when you, when you come from the desert, like that stuff's exciting. And, and here in our text, he's saying he's gonna, gonna lead his sheep to these green pastures. He's gonna lead them to lie down, to, to be at peace, at rest. They're not gonna be searching for sustenance. They're going to, to be there. Like, I, I grew up on a dairy farm in, in East Texas. And so, like, when the cows were out in the pasture, there was, there was no care going on. They, they didn't have anxiety. They weren't nervous. Now, if they were up in the barn or getting milked or something like that, they, they could have been. But when they, were, when they were out at pasture, they were carefree. They had all of the sustenance that they needed. They were at peace. And, and here... David is describing this good shepherd, the Lord, this way, that he's he's going to lead us to everything that we need, the sustenance that we need. He's going to lead us to. Now, the sustenance that I think that David is is talking about here, the primary sustenance that we get as believers is actually the word of God. And we know this because as, as Jesus is being tempted by the devil, what does Jesus tell the devil? He says, man doesn't live by bread alone, but by the very word of the Lord. Like, that's the sustenance for the believer. So, so you as a church in here this morning, like, like, if you want to know how to be sustained through life, it's through this book right here. It's not by any wisdom from any man that would stand behind this. Like, that's, that's not what you need. You need the word. And that's what the Lord is providing. He's providing his word. He's, he's brought it to his people so that they could be at peace, at rest, and have all the food that they would need. That they could feast on the word of the Lord forevermore. These green pastures that he's bringing us to, it's his word. That his church would need his word, and he has provided it. I'm encouraged about your future, Southside, because... I know your pastor's and staff's commitment to the word of God. They know that this is is what sustains you. They know that this is is the wisdom, this is the, the truth that you need. They gladly shrink away to bring this word to you. That's my prayer for Sun City Church as well. The second part of this verse talks about the, the still waters there. Uh, there's a scene, I, I just watched this with the kids, the The, the Pilgrim's Progress has like a little uh, a kids movie, and we, we just watched this, and, and one of the scenes towards the end of the movie, the shepherd is standing there, his sheep are in the background, like you're, you're watching the shepherd if you're watching this, but I watched it this week while I was preaching on this text, so I'm looking at the background, looking at the sheep, seeing what's going on back there, and they are in a green pasture, feasting on the grass. there, and there are these quiet, calm waters in the background. That's, that's not only good for drinking, right? Like David is writing this in an, in an area where the, the water has cut through in ravines and ravines, and a lot of times water is going to run through there quickly. It's not going to be at rest often, and so he's, he's, he's telling them that there is There's a shepherd that leads us to to restful waters so that we can be sustained, we can be nourished, but we can also be cleansed. In in, in reading on this, shepherds would also use still waters to cleanse wounds. They couldn't do that with like a roaring rapid, right? Like it'd be hard enough to go ahead and go drink if there's like a lot lot of water going through there, much less get some sheep in there and let them start floating down the river like it's not going to work out well. So, So the Lord brings them to still waters, Cleanse them, to nourish them. And I love that picture in the in that scene of the pilgrim's progress where you just you see the sheep in the background, the shepherds up front talking at that point. Our shepherd does the same for us. He he provides all we need, he provides his word. He sustains us he cleanses us we don't lack because our lord provides cleansing and sustenance for us in verse 2 let's keep going this morning he he restores my soul he leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake I, I don't know about you, but I am often in need of soul restoration. And tasting the again of the goodness of the grace of our God. And 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 reading this, it reminded me about another Psalm of David in Psalm 51, where David pleads with the Lord to renew a right spirit within me and restore to me the joy of my salvation. These are these are things David is pleading after he's caught in his sin. So when I start thinking about the restoration of our soul, I begin to think about that text. And what I want, what I want most for you, for Sun City Church, is to know and delight in the Lord. I, I, like, if you're a follower of Christ Jesus, I don't want you to be robbed of any good joy that comes with being a follower of Christ. Like, I want you to know God, and I want you to delight in him. And here the shepherd is saying he's going to do that work. He's going to restore our souls. He's going to lead us in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Now, what he's going to do is he's going to break the, the stubbornness of man in us so that we think that we know the right ways to go. And he's going to lead us in paths of righteousness. Now, this flies in the face of kind of the American ideal, especially in the South, right? Like I told you, I grew up on a dairy farm. Like, I, like one of the like, biggest characteristics you can find around these parts is, well, I'm my own man. Nobody tells me what to do. I'm going to do things my way. And here the Lord is saying, no, I'm going to restore your soul. Your way is not good. Your, your way leads to death. And I'm going to lead you in the paths of righteousness for not my name's sake. Like he's saying, my, my name is on the line for this, my reputation. I'm gonna restore your life. I'm gonna lead you in paths of righteousness for my name's sake, for my glory. That's why he's going to do this. So not only does the shepherd provide, as we saw with the pastures and the waters, but he restores and brings life to his broken sheep. So, like if you're in this room and you have, maybe it's your first time to be back in a while, or maybe you've just had one of those weeks where you have not, you've not done anything that looks like following Christ. I know that we have a shepherd that cleanses us, that restores us, that will lead us in paths of righteousness. He's going to do it for, for his name's sake, for his glory. So be restored this morning. Taste and see the goodness of the Lord again. He cares for his sheep. Like he's, he's promising these things to his sheep that he's already purchased. So these are good gifts of the Lord that he has brought to us that he would restore our souls. He would lead us in paths of righteousness. The Lord has his salvation and sustaining covenantal love placed upon his people. We see that in this text. It's so my prayer. Is that the Lord would restore our souls this morning and he would be glorified. Now verse four says, even though I walk to the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. When I, when I begin to think about this, and I think about David as a shepherd boy, like I, I can imagine that at some point, he's, he's walking through the valley of the shadow of death with his sheep, there, were, there was danger and toil in that lifestyle, so he is no stranger to this in this illustration. but David knows what it's like to have his enemies close on his hills, and with death imminent. Like David David knows that intimately. He's no stranger to suffering and difficulties. And so when we get to this part of the psalm, I want to be honest with you. Because there's a really popular like I mean, a large swath of American theology that would tell you that there's not going to be a lot of suffering if you'll just follow good things are going to happen. But that's, that's not what we see in Psalm 23. We've already seen that he loves us, that he restores us, that he makes sure that we have all that we need. But, but he also prepares us for the trials that are to come. Now, he's not talking about death here. Like he's talking about the shadow of death. So like the danger, the, the toils, the suffering that is coming. He he wants to be honest with the sheep, like those days are coming. At Sun City Church, I'm walking through 1 Peter right now. I mean, 1 Peter's written, it it starts out by saying, hey, you're elect exiles, like this is not your home. I know you're walking through suffering. I know you're walking through these things, but this is not your home. You have a, a hope for something else. He wants to prepare his sheep for the suffering and the difficulty of the days ahead. Now, we are living in a culture that is continually more and more hostile towards our faith. like you are, if you are a person of the book, a man or woman of the word, you are going to be more and more out of step, out of line with the culture around you than you've probably ever felt before. The Lord knows this. He's promised that his rod and his staff are going to comfort us in this. That that as we get further and further into this life, as we experience more and more trials and suffering, his promise isn't that that we will be delivered from those, that we won't experience them, but rather that he will be there with us. That, That he'll be there in the midst of it. That's why in Exodus 33, like I, I love Moses pleading in Exodus 33. He's pleading with God on behalf of Israel. And, and, and God tells him he's going to give the promised land and then Moses says, but where are you going to be, God? Which is a weird question to ask. He's like, hey, you're getting the promised land. Like we've, we've talked about this for a really long time. What, I mean, what, you know, what more could you want if you're, if you're Moses in this moment? And, and Moses says, I want to be where you're at. If you're not going to the promised land, don't give it to us. Like that's that's my comfort in this life is knowing that I'm with you, Lord. <laughs> that I don't I don't I'll forsake the promised land for you. I, I mean, that's one of the ways that we can do a little heart diagnostic on ourselves as a people, right? Like we start thinking about heaven. What's, what excites us about heaven? What excites us about death? Is it being reunited with our grandparents, our parents? Is that, is that what primarily excites us? Or is it we get to be face to face with the Lord Jesus Christ and we can, we can be sustained through all sorts of pain and trial and sufferings when we know that's our reward? That, that, that being in the presence of the Lord, we can, we can walk through the valley of the shadow of death because you are with me, Lord. I can walk through all sorts of things because you are right there. And there's, there's no place I'd rather be than, than dwelling with you, right? Like it's what this book is about. Like, like we had Adam and Eve in the beginning and they were dwelling with God and we lost dwelling with God because we've rebelled and we've sinned. And then the rest of this book is showing us how that, that has been reversed and that we're, we're going to have dwelling with God once again. In Revelation 21 it says the, the dwelling place of, of God is with man. Like that's our hope. So whatever you came into this room with, whatever suffering or, or, or toil and danger, and, and, and it may be all across the board, whatever it is, we have hope because the Lord is with us. He is the one who sustains us and gives us all that we need. It's his rod and his staff. It's not just a rod and a staff that comforts us. It's his rod and his staff that leads us, guides us, chastens us. We know that, that our Lord, the shepherd, is with us. We can walk through these trials. Now David, is about to, he's about to change the illustration on us here. He's, he's been using the, the, the shepherd illustration for these first four verses. And he's used it so far to, to illustrate that the Lord provides all his children need, that the Lord brings peace and sustenance to his children, that the Lord cleanses his children, that the Lord brings life to his broken, the Lord guides his children into righteousness, and the Lord protects his children during the days of suffering and danger. And then he, he changes the illustration on us to that of a banquet hall now. And in verse five, he says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Now, David knows what it's like to be seated at the table with his enemies, right? Like if you look at his story and look at 1 Samuel 16, you'll see the words that Saul loved David greatly. Like the relationship started out good. Like Saul loved David greatly in 1 Samuel 16. Now you don't have to continue very much further in that story to see that things change quickly. And the one in whom Saul loved quickly became the one he hated and attempted to to kill. Just a couple of chapters over in 1 Samuel. So so David knows what it's like to be seated at the table with his enemies, to be the anointed one at the table with his enemies. In the midst of danger, the Lord keeps his anointed. In the midst of danger, the Lord keeps his anointed. Now David had an adversary that wanted him dead, that hated him very much. What is not unlike you and I if we're in Christ Jesus, we have an adversary that wants nothing more than to still kill, and destroy. We have an adversary that wants to destroy us. That dwells all around us. And, and our hope is that God would be our source of joy even in the midst of danger. That that not only are we seated at the table, which is a place of safety, that, that we have a seat at the table even in the midst of our enemies all around, but we're the anointed one through Christ Jesus. The Lord lavishes his joy Upon us, even in the midst of danger and toil, Thomas Brooks uh, wrote about this joy and the joy of Christian martyrs in, in a way that I wanted to wanted to read an excerpt of his to you this morning because I think this perfectly describes what it's like to be seated at the table before our enemies to be anointed even in the midst of death and trials and suffering. Thomas Brooks writes this, he says, God loves to smile most upon his people when the world frowns most. When the world puts its iron chains upon their legs, then God puts his golden chains around their necks. When the world puts a bitter cup into their hands, then God drops some of his honey, some of his goodness and sweetness into it. When the world is ready to stone them, then God gives them the white stone. When the world cries out, crucify them, crucify them, then they hear that sweet voice from heaven. These are my beloved ones in whom I'm well pleased. When the world gnashes upon them and presents all imaginary tortures before them, Then the Lord opens paradise to them, as he did to Stephen. When Paul and Silas were in prison for the gospel's sake, then God fills them with such unspeakable joy that they they cannot but be singing when others are sleeping. God turns their prison into a palace, a paradise, and they turn his mercies into praise. Paul and Silas found more pleasure than pain, more joy than sorrow, more sweet than bitter, more day than night in prison. Because they know that the Lord never leaves them, even if their enemies are all around them. It's why when we read stories of our brothers and sisters in Christ around this world that are now being persecuted and killed, we should be encouraged in their faith and knowing that they experience more pleasure than pain, more sweetness than bitterness, more day than night because the Lord is with them. And that's our hope in the presence of our enemies, as the Lord has seated us, He's anointed us, and that nothing can separate us from this covenantal love of the Lord. We see in Romans 8:38, Paul writes, "For I'm sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation, will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Nothing can separate us, and for one of his sheep that he has." seated at the table, that he has anointed. That even in the midst of our enemies, we can praise, we can rejoice. As Paul writes in Philippians, he gives us the command to rejoice. And again, I say rejoice always. We can rejoice because the Lord is with us. He is the one who keeps us. And then we, we see in verse six, the promise In verse 6, he says, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. For the follower of Jesus in this room, this is his promise to us, that his goodness and his mercy are not just going to follow us. When we think of follow, we think of and just kind of slowly going behind somebody. No, this, this word carries more weight. It's more like that he actively pursues, like that goodness and mercy are going to actively pursue us if we're in Christ Jesus this morning. That that's what you're going to be met with. That as you mess up, that as you fall and fail, it's goodness and mercy that the Lord brings to us. And, and for some, like, you may not even recognize that, but that the, the exposure of your sin... Is just goodness and mercy following you? You know, from, from your point of view, it might be, well, I got caught in this. But no, that's the goodness of the Lord and his mercy coming and pursuing you. For some, it may be sickness or disease. It just looks like so much brokenness, but the, the Lord doesn't waste anything. His, his goodness and his mercy is following after you. It is pursuing you. This is the, the promise that we have in Psalm 23, that no matter what we have done, that the Lord is there with his goodness and his mercy. He doesn't withhold it from us. So I don't want you to have a a defunct view of God. I don't don't know if you're kind a first time with church, but in in this culture, a lot of times we can view God as kind of this Zeus-like figure that's just kind of ready to zap us anytime we get out of line. But it's not what we see here in Psalm 23. The Lord is the shepherd and his goodness and his mercy is what pursues us. So I don't want you to hide in the shadows and rob yourself of the joy of being restored to your salvation. I want you to know that, that the Lord Jesus Christ is the one who makes a way, who promises that his goodness and mercy will follow us all the days of our lives and that our dwelling place will be in the house of the Lord forever. That there's, there's coming a day where there is no more of this pain and this toil and this danger, but that we'll be with Christ forever. And that's our hope. You can go through the, the valley of the shadow of death when you get your eyes on your dwelling place with the Lord Jesus Christ. So, so like I said at the beginning, my, my hope, and as I, as I read this this week and prepared it, like one of, the, one of the things that happened to me was that my eyes came off of my circumstances, off of my failures and onto the Lord Jesus Christ. I and mean, we, can, we can walk forward in this world when our eyes are on Christ, when we get our gaze off of our circumstances and that they are on the good shepherd. Don't let the things of this world weigh and bog down our hearts and our minds, but let's look to the promise that his mercy, his goodness will be pursuing us and that we will get to dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Forever. No end. We will get to dwell with Christ. Forever. Just in in closing this morning, I want you to know that, I mean, go back and read this text and just, I mean, read verse one over again. Read the first part of verse one over again. That the Lord is my shepherd. Like this week, read it, put it on a sticky note, place it on a mirror, do something. The Lord is my shepherd. Just ponder on that. Ponder on the goodness of that promise that the Lord would be my shepherd. And then as you think about that, think about what your shepherd pursues you with, his goodness and mercy. Shepherd pursues his sheep with goodness And mercy. He's not going to withhold any good thing from you or I. Now, He will withhold bad things from us. That's why you might not just get your wish list, but you're going to lack nothing. Because His goodness and mercy is going to follow you. And then finally, the Lord will lose none of His sheep, He will gather all to Himself. His sheep hear His voice and they respond. But he has called us to participate in that gathering of the sheep through the Great Commission. So I want you to be encouraged that the Lord is your shepherd. I want you to know that he pursues you with goodness and mercy. But then I want you to pursue others with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ so they could know that the Lord is their shepherd, that they could taste his goodness and mercy pursuing them so that they could dwell in the house of the Lord forever let's pray father we we need you to help us understand this and not just understand it as a in a mental way but that but if we would get it in our hearts and our guts <laughs> that we 'd be able to be a people that sing and praise your name because you are our shepherd, father, I pray for people in here that don 't know you that they would know today that you are their shepherd, that you would call them out of darkness and into marvelous light and father those those of us in the the room that are your sheep father I pray that you would in, encourage us to to know that you are pursuing us with your goodness and your mercy it's hard to understand and comprehend but you you do and you are amazing that even in the valley of the shadow of death you are with us father I pray for Southside Baptist Church. I pray that they would be encouraged to continue in the work that you have set before them. That they would know you're the one who leads them in paths of righteousness. Father, we pray that you'd expose our hearts and our minds of sin you would lead us to repentance this morning turning from that and coming to you our shepherd we love you and thank you in Jesus name Amen